Welcome to Happy Talks with Dr. Alice and Donovan. Dr. Alice Fong is a holistic naturopathic doctor and founder of Amour de Soi Wellness. And Donovan Jensen is a software engineer and founder of HowToHappy.com. Together, they're out to cause more happiness in the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Happy Talks. Today, I'm super excited to introduce our guest today is Kristen Taylor. She is a life and executive coach who supports clients healing in imposter syndrome and feelings of unworthiness. So I'm super excited to have her here and just pick her brain on the whole imposter syndrome that I think we all deal with. So please welcome Kristen. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. So tell me a little about your, your backstory and your journey into helping your clients with this imposter syndrome. Like what, what did that look like? Yeah. So my background is over 20 years ago. Um, I earned my master's degree in counseling psychology and um, really was on that track worked as a therapist in a number of different settings. And then I transitioned into higher ed in 2007. Mm. There I started working with low-income college students in coaching. And so I was able to take a lot of what I learned as a counselor, particularly yeah. as a narrative therapist. And that's really about the stories we tell ourselves and the language we use. I can unpack a little bit more of that later, but um, that really informed my work with, with students. Mm of whom were dealing with issues of like, I don't feel like I fit in. I'm not college material. Mm -hmm. I feel like I belong. And so there were these really dominant narratives that they were living through. And so much of the coaching was basically saying, okay, to student, here you are now, here you want to be, how are you going to get there? Yeah. And then it got deeper, which was like, okay, what is your why? And those conversations became a lot more powerful. Mm -hmm. but what recognized that was fundamentally missing was it's not just how are you going to get there it was not just what is your why although super important as is the how but it was like who do you know yourself to believe so who do you know yourself to be your belief system what is your sense of self and if their belief system was i don't believe that i belong here or i feel like an outsider it didn't matter how powerful their why was it didn't matter if they really learned how to navigate something. If they hit an obstacle and they didn't believe in themselves, they got tripped up. And I would hear these incredible stories of like, this is why I want this. Like I want to put for the first time ever, lots of presents under the tree for my child. I want to change the legacy of my family. Like these were tear inducing stories. Mm. And we would just have these remarkable sessions focused on their why focused on how to really develop the skill necessary mm -hmm. and they would hit an obstacle or they would feel like an outsider and they would disappear wow and so from that place i started in like about three years ago working as a consultant to help other coaches learn how to work with students and doing life and executive coaching mm. and really was diving into more of what i developed over the past and years, which was about mindfulness, mm -hmm. neuroscience, and what I call narrative coaching. That's awesome. Yeah. So with that, it was really about understanding what is our self-talk, mm. right? What is our self-talk? And really importantly, what is the conditioning mm -hmm. of our lives? 
How were we parented? What were the cultures mm-hmm. we grew up in that created oftentimes thoughts and beliefs that aren't necessarily true about who we are and what is possible? Mm. Wow. So I had a question um, just as I was kind of listening to some of those details. Did you find that those that, that you interacted with that had imposter syndrome, it sounded like in many cases kind of figuring out the gap between where they were and where they wanted to be helped. Did you find cases of people who there wasn't really as much of a gap as they would have thought? And how did you kind of help them work through that if that was even a thing? It depends on each person's story. So that's what I'm saying. Like, what is objective reality? Like everyone shows up with a unique background and unique set of skills and talents and ambitions. Some people, they, they literally didn't have the academic background for the rigors yet. So there was that. Right. But some of those people were like, I know I can do it. I fully believe. And they were ready to go. Other people, you were like, from the outside, you have everything. In terms mm-hmm. of the academic background, sometimes the privilege, sometimes the financial well, well-being. And yet they were riddled with self-doubt. So it would depend on the person. It would depend on the person, but the important thing to really shine a light on was their self-talk. And that's where I start with people. Just, you know, let's say we have a session. I'm like, okay, we're going to have a week. Just notice how you talk to yourself and the things you say and the things you believe and the conditions that create the lens through which you you look through, right? So one of the most important things after they come back and they'll say like, God, I really hard on myself or sometimes I'm really hard on other people. Or I had one guy say, I'm such a baby, right? Number one, it's super critical. Mm. There's an important element that I also work on with people with imposter syndrome. And that is emotional regulation. Mm. So I really dive into the relationship between what is the story you're telling yourself mm-hmm. and the feeling that it creates. And sometimes it's what feeling are you having that triggers an old, familiar, disempowered story. Mm. And it's working to correct the emotional dysregulation and update the story. Mm. Interesting. So that definitely, that definitely resonates with me. There have been many times where even if I mostly have, you know, some kind of story or interpretation or piece of my life under control, if there's an extra stressor or some sort of extra something or other, and I feel angry or frustrated or down or whatever, extra emotion, I definitely have had experiences where it like clouds uh, the yeah. good, good or reasonable story that I've had in the past mm-hmm. and some other nonsense story comes in. And mm-hmm. I would be curious to know if you have any uh, ideas or like thoughts on what people can do. So maybe we can make like a little bit of a scenario and just say, uh, what do I say? Like, let's say I get feedback at work and then that triggers kind of this story of like, I knew it. Like I knew I was never going to get uh, promoted here or something like that. Um, I'd be curious if we could walk through like maybe yeah. how you might look at or think about that. Yeah. I love that. I think that's the best way to do it is to really think of a situ- situation like that. So there are degrees to which, so I'm going to talk about like the most heightened. Okay. Yeah. Someone is receiving mm-hmm. feedback. There's a review, right? And there's 
there's room for, for growth or, and there's some feedback where, you know, maybe you could change this or do that. And because of their particular conditioning as a child, generally speaking, they can go right into a spiral. And this is what Daniel Goleman, he's the one who talked all about emotional intelligence. He calls it an amygdala hijack, mm. your limbic system. Mm. That's the most primitive part of your brain. Mm. That's where it's that, you know, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. You know, you're like, you're, you're in it. You're not in your prefrontal cortex, right? So you have this moment of this just triggered an amygdala hijack. No, my life is not in peril, but my body sure feels like it is. I'm reacting from that place. You know, your sympathetic nervous system is just totally activated. You're not thinking, okay? So that's on the really heightened, escalated, amplified level. So I talk with, um, with clients that I'm working with just on basic breathing. I can't get into, let's work to emotionally regulate. Let's work to get you into your prefrontal cortex where you have cognitive flexibility and possibility thinking and expansive thoughts where you're resourceful. We just need to calm down the central nervous system so that new neural pathways or already existing neural pathways can get you to your prefrontal cortex. One of my very favorite that I work with clients with um, is by um, Andrew Weil, it's called Four, Seven, Eight Breath. And it's just a series of four breaths. It's very simple and it slows thing down, things down with emphasis on the exhale, right? So your heart rate during the exhale is decelerating. Mm -hmm. And then I can engage them in a conversation or then they can start to think through and create meaning about what happened. Mm. And that's what we're always doing. Stories are how we understand the world. That's the lens through which we find meetings. We make up stories. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I start with, let's revisit the story that you just are starting to or have already really cemented about what happened and who you are in that story. And what, if you were to name one, what is the preeminent feeling? This is the imposter syndrome. So we could talk about like, no, look at yourself differently and hear different ways. And I have all sorts of questions I'd love to share with you guys about narrative, how to do that. But it's most powerful when you can first emotionally regulate. Mm -hmm. And so let's say this person just had an interview where, or an interview, um, a one-on-one with a manager and they got some constructive feedback that was really hard to take. Mm -hmm and they're recounting the story. Mm. I will ask them, as you are going back to the story, what do you feel? Mm. And maybe they'll say, they can say any number of things like guilt, worry, fear, anger, defensiveness, like they can say anything. Well, let's choose one that feels like one of, if not the most important feeling. Mm. And then what's really important is that I want to connect them with the body with the story. So again, I think of my work as broken into like three principles. Number one, our thoughts and our beliefs, particularly those shaped by intense emotion or history and conditioning, they're not always reliable and sometimes they, they lie to us. Number two, liberation from those disempowered stories and belief systems. 
and emotional suffering is through the body. Mm. And number three, this is more like the umbrella over it all, is that the route to greater freedom and empowerment and self-awareness and upscripting must come through great self-compassion. Mm. Hard. They're mm. not easy. And so back to the story, I ask them, what are you feeling? And they'll give it a name. And naming is so important. There was a study out of UCLA. They call it affect labeling. To be able to just put a name to a feeling is such a critical piece of your ability to emotionally regulate. So give it a name. And then go to the body. Where, when you are deeply connecting and like beckoning, making it center stage, where do you feel that feeling? Mm. Some people say their heart. Some people say their solar plexus, like their gut. Some people say their temples, their head. Where do you feel it? Mm. And you're inviting it. Because here's the thing. All of us, in my experience, are in the habit of doing two things in response to emotions. Because emotions, at some of them, at best are unpleasant and at worst are like horrific, right? Mm-hmm. We want to like, we have an aversion response, make it go away, numb out, distract, this isn't happening. Yeah. I don't want to feel this. And so we're constantly running. So to, I imagine like what was like a little bird going, maybe I should pay attention to the little bird. The more we ignore it and try to flee it. Mm. That bird is like, I said, choo, choo, right? Right. It's really saying, no, I'm going to do what is so counterintuitive, but please come forward emotion. Mm -hmm. I'm listening. Where are you? So let's say they say it's in the heart. Mm -hmm. In the heart. And then in fully inviting, and you're like, what does it feel like? Is it heavy? Is it prickly? Is it hot? Really connect with the quality of a feeling. And then here is what is so critical and such a pivot. And this is really where I work with clients. When they start to connect with a feeling, their habit goes to, why am I feeling this? Okay, well, why is it here? Why am I feeling this? Worst thing they can do. Mm. Because when they say, why am I feeling this? They go right back into the emotional spiral of, well, I've never been good at work, and here I am again getting negative feedback, and he's going to find out that I'm not prepared, and I didn't go to the right college, and I really don't know how to, right? And you're like back in the swing of it. It goes right into the story. So I'm constantly saying, I'm going to slow you down. Why is not invited to this emotional regulation? Why matters? Context matters. Right now, it's not helpful. So the real shift is to the feeling. And sometimes people think of it as like the little child in them. Very helpful. What does it need to be comforted? Mm. What does it need to be comforted? And then they can connect with either wisdom and compassion within themselves. Mm. And people are like, I don't know how to do that. And then I ask, well, is there someone in your life who's been really loving to you? Maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's a pet. Like it doesn't matter, but a source of love that they can take that love in is a sense of like soothing. 
people who have transcendent relationships, they say love or light or God or however that relationship is shaped for them, and they can allow themselves to be nurtured and soothed. And then what I hear is that it starts to dissipate. Wow. And now they're in their prefrontal cortex. Now their central nervous system is calm. And now we can start talking about the story. Mm. That was just a lot, I know. <laughs> that was very, very powerful. And just being able to, you know, when they're hyper emotional, it's like the story just seems so reality, like so true to them in that moment because the emotions are so heightened is what I was gathering. But if you can kind of calm and center them, they can at least sort of dissipate the emotion and maybe the story and the reality is just not so tied together that they can kind of like separate the two and actually be like, oh, that's just a thought. It's not necessary. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes the emotions aren't like super activated. They're just constant companions, unexamined constant companions, like whether it's self-doubt or worry or nervousness, it may not be ratcheted up, but it's like, it's always there. Oh, absolutely. Let's look at it. Mm -hmm. When I talk about it, it's tending to the emotion rather than just managing the emotion, which is a very different relationship to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what you just pointed out was also important was that you know, those thoughts are always going to be there. It's like, like, they don't just magically go away. You're like, good to go. You're done. It's just like a little chirping voice. It's always going to be chirping. And it's like, are you acknowledging that little birdie or are you just ignoring it so it gets to grow and be? Yeah, right. Yeah, old saying, like, whatever you resist persists. That emotion, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to get more in the driver's seat. And the thing is, so the one thing we do in terms of dealing with our emotions is we, um, we want to move away from it as quickly as possible. Make it stop. I'm going to distract myself. I'm going to try to shut up. The next thing we do is that we over-identify with the feeling. This is big with imposter syndrome. And I had this for years, and I still work with this. If I am, say, going into that meeting with a manager or I'm about to speak publicly or whatever I might be doing or anyone might be doing that creates anxiety or nervousness, when the feelings are activated, let's say it's anxiety, you feel your heart pounding and you're feeling nervous, again, you want to like, oh my God, make it stop. But then you quickly make a narrative. What is wrong with me? What if someone sees? Why is this happening to me again? Right? It feels like I need, if I'm going to be a functional grown up and go into the world and I'm feeling this anxious and I need to speak in front of people or I need to be in a corporate setting where I need to look like I've got my stuff together and my heart is pounding, hide. Mm. Like that pounding heart is somehow evidence that we are flawed or broken, not ready, incompetent. That's the identification with the feeling rather than the feeling is just something I experience. It becomes this, it's who I am and who I am is broken in some way. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. I'm just curious, like the thought that I had was, you know, I get that it's, it's a lot of story, but there's also 
you know, let's say someone just got a promotion into a role that they, they, it's totally new. They have no idea what they're doing. So they're feeling mm -hmm. like, and that's, that's their reality. And in the reality of the situation, yeah, they don't know how to navigate this role quite yet because they're still learning. So yeah. how do you separate out being like, if they had to give a presentation at work and they're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And just like the reality is like, they know they haven't gotten the training enough or they haven't been in the role enough. Like they're going to be a novice in the role because it's a new role mm -hmm. and being okay with that being like, it's okay that you're going to have to suck a lot in this role as you learn the new role. Mm -hmm. type of situation. Mm -hmm. So like caught in the fraud and I don't know what I'm doing, but it's like mm -hmm. it's part of the learning process though. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so number one, it's normalizing that like you just did. Yeah. That's the emotional regulation is going to happen. So it's really important for them to see the relationship between when I have an emotion, I'm doing either one of two things or both. I'm identifying with it. Like if I feel nervous or if I feel insecure or if I feel self-doubt, that it doesn't need to hijack your narrative and your belief system. Number one, you can normalize it. Like it's totally normal but also giving them the tool. We always hear, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it. And I think that has its place. But if you're continually faking it, you are suppressing an emotion because you've over-identified it with it and you don't want anyone to see, or you're suppressing it and avoiding it. So it's like, okay, let me teach you some breathing because if it continues to grow, then it will be that sort of amygdala hijack. Giving them some breathing tools and also allowing them to have compassion for the energetic temporary experience of fear like there are times i'll bring myself into this if i have to speak in front of a lot of people i will feel my heart pounding and in the past it's been like oh shit oh i hope i don't have a panic attack like and then you start like that catastrophizing and it's just you can just really quickly spiral downward so instead of oh shit it's for me, I'm just reframing. I love my heart. My heart cares. You know, my heart cares. I really care about this job. I want to do well. And I will say, I invite my heart to this experience. And it's a very different experience rather than heart stop, stop, stop. Don't, I mean, not heart stop, you know what I mean? But slow down, slow down, <laughs> slow down. Right? So it's just allowing what I just, what I just said is like, give it a name. I called it my heart. Invite it. I welcome you. Connect with it. Tend to it with compassion. And then hopefully they are more calm and they can say, this is normal. I know what I'm doing yet. And then you can start to play with what story do you want to tell yourself instead? So there are three things here I want to share with you. This is the narrative part. One of the, the there's a possibility thinking this is coming from Srini Play out of Harvard. He's a neuroscientist, coach, psychiatrist. And he talks about possibility thinking. And one of my favorite questions is, if fear were not as dominant in your story, what might you be able to do in this new role once you had enough time and training? And what would that experience be like? So we're getting them into their imagination. And it's like using your brain as a GPS. Like what is the vision of yourself you want to move towards? Knowing that fear will be there, but perhaps it won't be so dialed up. 
if it's more dialed down, what would be possible? Our brain doesn't know the difference between what is very well and what we imagine. So we help them imagine an outcome they want to aim toward. Number two, we're finding exceptions to what in narrative therapy is called problem-saturated stories. So if in their history they had times where if they felt nervous, they repeatedly went into this catastrophic, what's going to happen and who, I am, who am I and here's why I'm challenged, right? We find those times where in the face of fear, where did you show up? And you shine a huge spotlight on those exceptions. Okay. And then we create an audience or dialogue, maybe with the older version of themselves, who universally will always be more wise, more compassionate, ask the older, more wise part of themselves, what is it that your younger self is forgetting about you that would be important to connect with right now? Or sometimes people are like, I don't want to brag on myself. It feels uncomfortable. Then I will say, you know, if you saw someone else in this situation, I will say their situation back to them, highlighting the courage. What opinion might you be forming of this person and what they're capable of? And so they can start to unpack a different story that way as well. Mm. Right? As well as externalizing the anxiety. It's not who they are. It's what they're feeling and it's temporary. So it's like when anxiety shows up, what part of yourself is less likely to show up? What does anxiety not know about what you're capable of? There are so many things that I found useful in this conversation. Um, I'll, I'll give a little bit of my background since you're probably not aware of it. But uh, so I studied um, psychology in my bachelor's and then worked in marketing for a few years. But I have some, you know, long term goals that I decided I need to learn software engineering for. Okay. So in the last two years, I've, I went to like a boot camp and I switched into software and I was able to land a job at one of the, you know, big five tech companies. Congratulations. And so it's super awesome. But this last year or so has been me dealing with a lot of these things. And I think I probably have a couple more tools than most people just because these types of topics are things I'm very interested in. doesn't mean it was super easy. But while you were talking, I realized, um, I was wondering like, what what is the difference? Because sometimes I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I have... 10 years less experience than, than a lot of these people. Like some of these, some of these people have been programming since they were 12 mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why mm-hmm. they, they know this stuff. And I've been doing yeah. it two years. <laughs> I need to practice and figure it out. So sometimes uh-huh. I would be there and other times I would be, um, you know, historically other things I've tried, I've done very well at. And here there's like metrics, you know, and I can see that I'm at the bottom. I'm like, what, what is going on? This is yeah. so frustrating. So yeah. there'll be times where I'm lo- like lost and like, I don't think this is for me. I don't know if I'm ever going to get it figured out. And mm-hmm. while you were talking, I realized the difference between those two paths is whether or not I am having like an amygdala hijack, right? Whether or not I have taken the time to go, okay, I need to process this emotion. Then I can look at the story and what's going on as opposed to feeling everything as one giant ball of just yes. like anxious and also all the stuff is happening and I'm not doing good and this is happening. And, and I, I think it was really helpful to hear like, get the pieces out in the right order so that you can be in the right place. And for me that like unlocked an insight of, okay, this is the way 
that will work every time, right? Because it was working on and off for me. I know yeah. some of that, that better or more useful story is in my brain. And there were so many times that I would just like, even, even if I got that story for a second, right? It'd be like, you don't have as much experience. And it's like, it doesn't matter, whatever. You know, like the emotion would just overwhelm that yeah. story and just wipe it out. So yeah. it's been really like nice for me just to, just to yeah. see the difference there and recognize, oh, you have to step through the emotion first, figure out what you're feeling there. And then once that's uh, like regulated a little bit better. Regulated. The story, the more useful story will also be easier to digest and accept as opposed to going through this heavy emotional frame right mm -hmm. into this not useful kind of made up story where I'm comparing my two years of experience to people who are coding since they were, you know, 12. Right. That's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. That is what it is. And it sounds so easy when we talk about it conceptually, but when you are mired in the moment and steeped in the disempowered narrative and the emotions are flying, it can be really hard to figure out how to disentangle and move forward. And then those things become thoughts and beliefs that are in the driver's seat. So I often just tell people simply, and this is the meditation and the mindfulness piece, like bear witness, bear witness to the thoughts. You are not your thoughts, but just notice the patterns. Notice what you are saying. So there's that separation of like, oh, I'm hearing. Metacognition, right? Noticing myself, noticing. Yeah. I'm glad it was meaningful. Yes, very, very helpful. Probably the most, one of, one of my top most pressing issues right now is like working through that stuff. So that's been super useful. And I'm sure that anyone who watches this that's in the same boat to some degree will find it useful. I feel like it's been, the way you broke it down and just explained the different pieces and explored the concept has been very enlightening. It's a, it's a perspective that, like I said, I think, I think I have more tools than most. I think I'd spend more time than most in this mm -hmm. realm. And I still had like, you know, this jumbled ball of like, ah, how does this come apart? I'm going to keep working on it. But like, what, what is going on? And now it, it just it makes perfect sense. Well, good. And what we're also talking about, if you really think about it, getting away from the amygdala hijack, really tending to emotion so that we can activate the prefrontal cortex, create different stories. And there's so many great narrative coaching questions to support people in doing that. But ultimately what I'm talking about is becoming present. Like when you are in the present moment, when you can breathe, when the feelings have sort of softened or melted a bit, and you can just like, I can hear my clock ticking, I can hear the dogs, I can feel the temperature. In that moment, you are safe. Everything's okay. Like that is such a challenging thing to get to, but that's when the noise can just quiet and to have those precious moments means so much when people are feeling i have to do this i have to do this and if i don't do this what if i lose control like you know anxiety doesn't exist in the moment if you can capture those moments inside of the story of the past or the forecasting into the future right now you're okay little gems <laughs> such a gem so so valuable because i think when people are 
stressed of like, I could lose my job, I could, this could happen, this could happen, we could be, a, might lose our house if I lose my job, just like this tr like snowball effect and just getting back to like in this moment, there's not a giant bear attacking me or a dog <laughs> chewing on me or anything like that. It's like, I am safe. And it's like, yes, I, I am where I am right now. And mm -hmm. moment to like mm -hmm. be with whatever is this. Yeah. I had a, another question for you. Like, what is the most um, common tendencies you see people tripping up on as they attempt to recover from like difficult emotional experiences? Mm -hmm. So label it this way. In my experience, particularly men who aren't as encouraged throughout their lifetimes to tend to their emotions. You know, it's like, suck it up, you'll be fine. You know, dust yourself off, keep going, don't be a whatever, right? So when I am leading them through a mindfulness practice, and you know, it doesn't have to take very long, but I'm asking them to connect with the feeling, they will go so quickly back to the story. Even if I'm saying, what does the feeling need? They'll say, well, the reason it's here, and they go right back into the stories. So that is really, really common. And it's also a way of bypassing some of the vulnerability. You know, I had a client who was like, I haven't cried in years, and I'm feeling like I might cry. And when he said years, he meant like 20, 30 years. Like it had been so long, but he'd been holding all of this pain. He said, I feel like it's radiating. And then he went, understandably a defense. He went right into the story of why. And so I gently like, let's, let's, let's go back to that feeling. Just hold the feeling of just even if it's a beat longer so that we can shift the energy and let it know that and this is sort of the reparenting. This is where it's kind of counseling too. It's that reparenting. Like I, I kind of love working with parents, especially dads because they can access that deep love for their child in a way that they often need to borrow to love themselves, mm -hmm. right? So the tendency is they go right back into the story. And I say, let's go into the feeling. Well, we will return to the story. <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah, mm -hmm. we will return to the story where it is about you being a fraud or an imposter or not ready or not enough. Um, but first, the feeling needs your attention. Right. Yeah, no, I, I could see that with a lot of my, my male clients that I've worked with. And, you know, sometimes with my female clients as well. Sure. But it's harder, um, more frequently, that they have a hard time getting into it because they're just so caught up in the story. And some of the things I've done is just like, I just have them imagine them like regressing in age to the, like a little boy or <laughs> and be like, what would you say to this little boy? <laughs> like, yes, I yeah. do that very frequently. Yeah, and it, and it helps. It's like no one would be so cruel. Yes. It's the things that they say to themselves to a child. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I even, yeah, I have one client who um, will imagine, you know, because he flees his emotions so regularly and understandably given his particular upbringing. And I will say, imagine your daughter is feeling those feelings. Would you put her in a room and lock the door and walk away? No, 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 there's nothing wrong. She's scared. 
what would you do instead? He said, I would pick her up and hold her and tell her it's going to be okay. Maybe that's what this fear needs. It's going to be okay. I hear you. I see you. I know it's hard. Yeah. It's really tender work. Um, you know, sometimes it's not, sometimes it is, depending on their stories, depending on how long they've been engaged in this habit of thought, habit of response. And again, then we begin to be able to unpack how to draft and rescript different stories mm. as an organizing principle of who they are, rather than using a painful emotion that they're avoid avoiding as an organizing principle of who they are. Well, I really have valued having you on our show today. It's just been such beautiful uh, work that you've expressed and how, how you go along a process, a very like clear process. Sometimes a lot of people like Donovan was saying, it's you know, all over the place and it was just a very pathway to kind of get them calm before they do the other work, which is really, really important. Was there anything you'd like to um, share or plug right now? <laughs> Yeah, gosh, I don't know if there's anything I want to plug um, other than just, you know, I'm always open to working with people who are ready to do the work, who are saying enough is enough. I want to move up in my career without being saddled with, with some of this imposter syndrome. So um, that is my passion and my love is, is to be able to do this work and looking for people who are ready to say I'm ready. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. It was just such an honor to meet you and to talk about this kind of stuff. Great. Yeah, yeah thanks for coming on. This is really, like I said, it was really, really great for me specifically. Like, I'm like, oh, cool. Those are the keys I need. This is perfectly unlocked now. Um, like you were saying, like, I also, um, I mean, I, I've done some work with emotion, so I'm, I'm open to it and I have some tools for it. But the, the natural reflex is, like you were saying, okay, here, here's the right story. Here's the right story. And while, you know, up in the emotional state, like high, high end emotions, it's just like, why won't my brain and like body accept the right story? I have the right story. I and love that you said that like that. So nice to just um, have that pathway. So double thanks, because I think this will be useful for people. And it was definitely extremely useful for me. I'm so glad that means everything. That's great. Yeah, we love it when when our guests are able to give like real tools because you know it's like one thing to talk about it in a conceptual way but it's like application is where they have the change and the mm -hmm. freedom of you know the story right right that's fantastic so glad well yes thank you again so much for being on our show it was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Happy Talks with Dr. Allison Donovan. We hope you got something of value to help bring a little more happiness into your life. What lesson or takeaway did you get from today's episode? For more tips and tools, be sure to check out my website at dralicefong.com and you can find me on my social media handles at dralicefong. You can find me at howtohappy.com and follow me on my social media handles at howtohappy. Catch, Catch you next time. time.